and happy Monday. I am so excited to be sharing this episode with Hannah Dickinson with you all. Um, Hannah is truly one of the most resilient and, and strongest people I've ever had the pleasure of interviewing or really meeting, to be honest. She's just such an inspiration. And so I, I really think that we can all take some of Hannah's attitude with us and, and, and how she responds to life's adversities because she's been hit with quite a few, which you will hear about in this, um, in this episode. And with that being said, there are some very heavy discussions and topics covered in this podcast episode, including, um, just talk about sexual assaults as well as disordered eating behaviors. So if at any point you need to take a break and, um, give yourself some self care, please don't hesitate to hit that pause button and to do what you need to do to, relax and, and get yourself centered. Uh, before we jump into the episode, I I did want to just touch on something a little bit also not very, um, not a very happy topic, I guess, but I felt like I would be doing, um, I, I guess, just a disservice if I, if I didn't bring it up. Um, so this weekend, I, I saw a really nasty side of social media and a lot of this was due to the recent terrorist attacks um, in Israel. And I felt very, you know, conflicted bringing this up. I, I don't really like to bring politics into this podcast as I my primary focus is just raising awareness about mental health. But I think, you know, there's a big overlap there because I was hurting a lot just seeing some of the misinformation going around about the um, Hamas attacks in Israel over this weekend. And I think one thing that I just want to emphasize is that just because you mourn the loss of the hundreds of lives lost in Israel does not mean that you condone the violence that the Israeli government has perpetrated. Two things can be true. And I, I think our society is very black and white it's very dichotomous it doesn't really see the gray area and so I, I have friends in Israel fighting right now and I worry for them um, but just because I'm, I'm upset about people dying and children being murdered doesn't mean that I necessarily believe you know in a one-state solution or that you know, that Palestine shouldn't exist. No, that's not the case. I'm really sad about all these people that have been just innocently murdered. And also another important thing to emphasize is that Hamas is a jihadist terrorist group. They're not the same thing as Palestine. They actually don't believe in having a Palestinian state. They want to demolish the state of Israel and Jewish people. And as someone who, who is half Jewish, that hurts to hear. Um, and I, and I'm, I'm really scared to see the ensuing anti-Semitic attacks that will happen in our own country after news like this seems to divide people, um, who, I don't know. I, I just don't think social media is really a place to be 
reposting pictures and saying quote unquote what side you're on because there's it's so much more complicated and so much more complicated that I don't even know enough and I should but I do think it's important to emphasize that supporting Hamas is not supporting innocent civilians it's supporting a jihadist terrorist group that just celebrates murders in the streets and does not believe in human rights of any kind so doesn't believe in Israeli rights doesn't believe in Palestinian rights doesn't believe in our rights um, doesn't believe in a democratic state so just wanted to quickly share that and without further ado though um, don't want to get off too off topic here is Hannah Dickinson. I hope you all enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Solace in the City. Today, I am so excited to be here with Hannah Dickinson, who is a New York-based comic, writer, and actress. Thank you so much for being here, and I'm so excited to chat. Thanks for having me. So um, if you don't mind just kicking it off by telling me a little bit more about yourself. Where are you from? How old are you? Uh, where do you currently live? What do you do for work? What's your story? Yeah, so I am Hannah Dickinson, as we discussed. I never know how to like do an intro on a podcast. <laughs> I'm like, uh, but I, I'm a comic in New York, and I'm originally from D.C., like, well, Virginia, I guess. And then I went to University of Southern California to study film. And that's where I started stand up. And I graduated in 2014. So I started stand up in 2014, which is crazy because or 2013, I guess, because I started my senior year. And then so I'm 31 and almost been doing stand up for 10 years. But no, yeah, it was 10 years this summer. Um, And I currently live in New York. I I'm renting a place in L.A. because I was like hoping to be more back and forth. But with the shutdown, it's like I every time I go to L.A., I'm depressed. So I don't ever go there. <laughs> and uh, I was working for Comedy Central and then they closed our department. I was also working for another media company that I don't want to get into. But it was a very... Uh, Anytime there's like alcohol in a brand, I'm I'm sober, so like I work for a company that like had alcohol as the name yeah, of the company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, this is gonna be a toxic environment. Um, so I don't work there either. <laughs> I'm currently just doing a lot of freelance stuff and uh pretty much having a crisis. It's funny that you're asking me what I do because today I was like, should I go to business school and then like move to Miami and then give up sobriety? <laughs> and that was just like a dark thought to have. I was like, what business school could I even get into? I don't even know what they do at business school besides Socialize. like blackout and ski. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, So I'm kind of, I mean, I'm still doing stand up a lot and I'm on the road a little bit. I have a podcast called Ha Ha Land where we like interview celebs, multi hyphenates. We've had uh, like this week we did Taylor Swift every time they uh, bail. But um, <laughs> that's like the premise of the podcast is we talk to them about their how they became so successful. And obviously, because they're so busy, they don't have time for our podcast. But oh, yeah, next time. Uh, yeah, so the- <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, she was in New York. You know, we were kind of hoping. But um, nope. Once again, another bailer. But uh, yeah, so I yeah, I it's funny, like to be asked what I do because I am a comedian, but it still feels like because I'm not 
Nikki Glazer. I'm like not a comedian in a way. That's how I feel. But mm -hmm. I need to like get it. People are like, what? <laughs> That's why I don't go on dates. It's not even like I have herpes and I know we're going to talk about that. <laughs> it's not even like I have to tell people I have herpes. It's like I have to tell people what I do for a living, which feels embarrassing because they don't know me. You know, if you're not famous, it's like, are you a comedian? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel kind of similarly with like right now I'm um in school to become a therapist and I am taking clients, which is like really crazy because I am not graduated. I don't have a license. And so whenever I'm on a client consultation, I have to explain to them that like I'm not licensed, but it is legal. And I've had multiple people ask me if I'm like doing under the table therapy. And I'm like, no, 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 no. It's legal. It's like just what you would do if you saw a therapist in college. They're just not as upfront about it. So it's like this weird. I'm not a therapist, but I'm taking clients so it's a yeah a lot of imposter syndrome but no you you are a comic I mean I feel like if you're doing stand-up and performing and you've been doing it for 10 years then that's part of your identity totally I just um I'm a very impatient person my father likes to remind me that so I and I also also like I'll see I'll watch people's hour special and I'm like I'm not there yet like I you know I've done featuring sets for Comedy Central which is like 15 minutes but it is hard to I it stand up takes such a long time like you look at like someone like Theo Vaughn or Tom Segura like they're in their 40s and they're like they really didn't hit to like well Tom um, Tom Segura like hit a couple years ago and he's like I don't know I guess I don't want to speak for his age but like <laughs> You know, it takes a long time and and that's one thing that I don't like is I'm I just don't like the feeling of like not knowing I'm I'm a control freak, which is what makes me an alcoholic. So it's okay. tough to uh be committed to a an industry that's so up and down and Yeah, where there's no control. How did you get into no comedy though? I really want to be an actress, like my whole life. When I was a kid, my mom would like drive me up to New York to do auditions. Um, and I it did like that scam John Robert Powers where they had kids come in and you paid and like auditioned for like big Hollywood casting directors. But I ended up actually auditioning for Hannah Montana. So it, uh, it, Wait, wow. it worked for, yeah. So um, still my biggest credit, which is really sad because it's like, 17 years later I'm like I auditioned for Hannah Montana as a child um and then I went to school for film because I was like if I'm gonna go to acting school I never really had the self-confidence to be like I'm an act I don't have like actor energy like they know how to work a room you know um I, know I went out with an actor what I don't know many actors so I mean I imagine but like it, I went out with an actor once and he was like yeah like I love being famous. It's like being a manager at an Italian restaurant. You're like, hey, what's up? What's up? And I was like, oh, yeah, that is what that is. <laughs> like and I don't have that talk. Yeah. And like just like talk, talking to strangers. And I just I'm so anxious. And um, I don't know. I just I also felt studying film. I want I, I always wrote my whole life, too. Like I I was I like to write plays. I did like. That kind of stuff. So I was in the newspaper. So I, I wanted to study film because I thought a career in writing would probably be easier to navigate and turns out just as hard. So uh, but yeah, I so I kind of got into it because I always wanted to 
be um, in it in my whole life. But then, oh, and then in college, I was always like, um, I was like, I, I would say I was like the funnier person in the group mm-hmm. of my friends. Like I was like the funny, I was like the drunk girl who like I made fun of myself a lot because I would get so drunk and then like just I was like <laughs> the entertaining friend, crowd. I was, like, yeah, and I just enjoyed making people laugh at my own expense. And then I tried improv and I was really bad at improv because I could not commit. And like when you're starting out in improv, it's like you're with horrible suggestion. You get horrible suggestions and I'm not really a team player in that way. Uh, like one guy was like, let's be horses. And I remember being like, no. <laughs> Nay. <laughs> improv teacher was like, that's literally, yeah. I couldn't even do that. And the improv teacher was like, that's the one rule is don't say no. And I was like, that was the dumbest suggestion I've ever heard. And then I was like, okay, I just need to do this myself and write this shit down before. Because I was like, a, I was a very, I was a straight A student in high school, but I was very like, my test scores were shit. Like, because I would buckle under pressure but like I could study and do projects like mm-hmm. I I knew I could put the work in and be funny and stand up whereas improv uh it just didn't come naturally to me and I just didn't again I don't like being bad at something so I was not about to be like make a fool of myself yeah also if you like control I mean there's literally no control in improv because you're being thrown like random things that you have to take with and run with yeah, I remember one of my class improv shows. This was because I did improv in college because I was going to L.A. and it was like right around graduation and my parents and my brother came. And it was one of those shows in the afternoon where no one shows up. So it was like literally my parents and my brother were the only audience members. And I look out like mid like scene or whatever. And my brother just has his face between his hands like, what the fuck is this? Because it was so bad. And I was like, this is it just. My brother couldn't even like watch. He was in so much pain. It's okay. And, I, yeah. I I give you credit for even for just doing comedy in general. Like I was as a in I mean in high school I never thought I like was funny, but I also didn't think I was like not funny. But I got like the label of just like Zoe's like if someone was telling a story that wouldn't make sense, they'd be like, "That's a Zoe story." As in, it was so bad. And I was like, "Okay, guys, like, can we re- like?" I think I just told one bad story and it just the label stuck. So I give you credit in that sense because I don't know. Oh I, my gosh, that's so mean. I, I know. Is that how I'm you got like to say therapy? This you're like, <laughs> I need to help people. This yeah. Is bad. No, I mean that's my quarter life crisis was be was deciding to quit my job and become a therapist. But so yeah, if you, if business school isn't your route, you know you can always do what I did and become a social worker. <laughs> So you talked, you mentioned being sober and I wanted to talk a little bit more about that because I, I feel like having listened to you, I could relate to a lot of what you were saying. Um, I quit drinking, um, at the beginning of this year after a very long time of like debating whether or not I wanted to quit drinking. And I have dealt with a lot of body and eating disordered eating related things in my life. Um, Not as much because of the like body dysmorphia, but more because of the control. Like I hated seeing the number on the scale go up. Like it was like a weird control mechanism. And so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about what led you to become sober, both from alcohol and also Adderall and Vyvanse. 
Yeah, so I was, oh, I had given up alcohol like randomly for months and then I would go back to it. And then I had an incident in COVID when I was abducted and raped by an Uber driver. So I, um, you know, I woke up in his bed because he had brought me home and I recently found out through the police that it was like a woman took in like troubled kids and he was one of them. And then after the incident, he like fled her house. Um, so anyway, that's a side thing, but I basically like, I'm so lucky that he didn't kill me. Like, you know, he was kind enough. If I can even say that, that he like was like, Oh, this girl like is so, cause I, I think he knocked me out based on like, I don't really remember a lot, but like then, it was a very, very, very rough evening. And I woke up in his bed, like still in fight or flight mode. And it was like my 29th birthday when I woke up and I was in Compton, Los Angeles, you know, in Los Angeles. And I was like, mm-hmm. kind of just freaking out. My phone died. And I, you know, I, I tried to check into a motel. Like I tried to get a phone charger. Like it was just like, truly, you know, those dreams where you can't, run and Mm -hmm. you you want to run but you're like stuck in quicksand or you can't get off your knees or whatever that's what it felt like that morning like it was the longest morning of my life and it was my 29th birthday I ended up at a Starbucks called my dad from the landline who had a friend come pick me up but it was in that moment I was just like I can never drink again like and and people it's interesting people be like you know it's not your fault you got raped like it's not just because you drink doesn't mean doesn't give them the right to rape you, which I totally agree with. But I also Mm -hmm. think that the fact that I had been through a lot of shitty things when I was drinking and it was all funny, you know, it's all funny until it's not. And then it's like, okay, like I can't stop again with the control thing. I will never be able to stop a rapist. Like I can never stop men from raping, but Mm -hmm. I can stop like myself from being put in a situation that is dangerous and um you know and and that was really hard because when I got sober I had to cut a lot of people out of my life who were my best friends at that point and then when I got sober I kind of realized that they weren't really my friends and that they just you know, I was in the car with a guy initially. I got into a car. I got into the Uber with a guy, and I was like, "Oh, can you just drop him off at Seven Eleven up the street?" And when I call my friend from the rape center, he goes, "Oh, you're alive." And I was like, "What do you mean?" He was like, "That guy was so creepy, and you were so drunk, like that." That's how he said it. And I go, "And you left me in the fucking car." That's and it was just like moments like that. I was like, "Oh my god!" Like I need to like why why am I hanging out with this person he left me in the car like that and then the next day is laughing like oh surprised you made it home but I bitch I didn't like and and the fact that you didn't even call is crazy and and, like stay in the car with you like or get me out of the car like anything and he just didn't and and it, it and just like other friends, I was going through a lot, obviously, like I, you know, I went to rehab, but I, I, I was really depressed. I was very, very depressed. I, yeah, I got down to like 100 pounds, I think. 
I I want I'm like five six. At one point in New York, I was like 150. So like when I was 100 pounds, I was like, I and what's weird is I couldn't see it. Well, so I so I got out of rehab and I was like going through this thing where where like my friends were kind of my friends who I partied with were doing shitty things, and um, like <laughs> making me chip in on a birthday present to a party I wasn't invited to. And then when I asked why I wasn't invited, they're like, oh, because you don't drink anymore. And it's like, so I have to pitch in on this gift for someone and who's my best friend and write a letter on why they're my best friend. And then I don't get invited to the party because I don't drink anymore. I was like, you guys are not my fucking friends. Yeah. Um. So it was situations like that. And just like, uh, <laughs> like I, I caught a friend talking shit about me saying I'm a Debbie Downer. And I was like, well, I was just raped and went yeah. to rehab. So, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not the most not light like, of the party right now. Light of the party. Yeah. And it was really hard. And I so I just I, I got very insecure because my friends like I was like, my friends fucking hate me. Like, I must be the most annoying person in the world. So I I just started taking much of Adderall because I I couldn't keep going. Like, I was like so depressed. Like, I couldn't. I couldn't motivate myself to get out of bed. Like I couldn't really like, I didn't want to lose my job. Cause I, at the time my job like paid for me at comedy central, they paid while I was in rehab. Like they were so good to me and I didn't want to lose that job. Cause I was like, I can't go through this and lose my job. And then they ended up closing the department a year later. So I lost my job two years later. Um, but I was like, I have to do well at work. Like that was what I had. And I wanted to do well at stand up. I just, I was so afraid that if I, by going to rehab and like getting raped and the trauma of that was going to like offset the course of my life that I was like taking all this Adderall to be like, you got to keep going. You got to keep going. And I had lost weight in rehab because I was taking Vyvanse and Adderall. I was just taking Vyvanse actually, but it was in Arizona. It was the summer. And like, I literally just was not hungry, which mm-hmm. it, I used to have a joke where it's like people who are so depressed or so anxious and can't eat. Like you're not trying. <laughs> like I used to be like, that's not a real thing. And then when something so horrible happens, it, it, it was horrible enough to make me not want to eat. Like I, I, my stomach was in knots all the time. I was just so, I couldn't believe that it happened. Like I, and, um, and then my friends, like I didn't really, you know, when I came out and they were just like, and I, I will say it's not all of my friends. Like I, some of my friends who, cause I, I, you know, started in LA, went to college in LA, and then I came to New York. So I do have like, mm-hmm. I haven't had a boyfriend 10 years, but I will say I have a lot of friends, which I'm very grateful for. And a lot of my friends were very supportive, but like, yeah, there was just like a core group of girls who I was putting a lot of energy into who I lost that friendship and it made me so insecure. So I just, I started taking more Adderall to like get me going, and then I was losing more weight. And people, when I saw them, would be like, oh, my God, you look so good. Mm. And I'd be like, oh, thanks. And they're like, what are you doing? And I was like, you know, I stopped drinking and Pilates. But like, even as it came out of my mouth, I was like, I'm fucking lying. Yeah, I was like and and people were like, how do you do it? Because I would wake up, you know, I worked two jobs and then I'd go do stand up and I was like flying back and forth. I was doing all this stuff and people were like, how are you doing it? And I just... Adderall and Vyvanse like those are the first things that popped through my head and I was like yeah I can never get off this drug and that's when I started to get 
I think last November is when I started to kind of worry about it last October mm-hmm. because it had been over a year since I got out of rehab and my Adderall and Vyvanse medication had gone up. Like I had up my prescription. I was getting it from friends. I started buying it from a drug dealer and I was like still in denial. Mm-hmm. And then when I ran out of it still before the end of the month, because I was taking so much, I was like, this is something's off here. But I still wasn't ready to give it up because people would be like, you look so good. You're doing so much. I was making a ton of money. I was doing a ton of jobs. And like, I was like, I have to have this Adderall. Like with alcohol, when I will, I always, I wasn't ready to give up that social side of myself. Like I was like, I don't want to be the weird one who's sober and doesn't drink. Now I don't give a fuck. Like, <laughs> like that. Yeah. I, I you know, I've had a couple moments of weaknesses, I'll admit, especially the past two weeks where I'm like, I just want a fucking dirty martini, you know, like I just want to go have a nice dirty martini. But I it's not like it's not like that with alcohol with me. Like I'm not like usually like yeah. in moments of anxiety, of course, I'm like, I just wish I could have a fucking drink. But it's not like daily I have to think about it. Like I'm just like, oh, whatever. And I lost weight from not drinking, which I also um like as a side effect but and I also just like I I, towards the end of drinking I was over it like I was just like I hate feeling drunk I hate feeling like it but it was over the next day too yeah but with Adderall I was like I love the feeling on Adderall Mm -hmm. and I love like it's that movie Limitless with Bradley Cooper (laughs) it literally is it literally it's 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 so insane watching that movie in hindsight it's like oh there is a drug like this like but what especially yeah, what? in the shortage you're like in a I, 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 but oh, now true, I hear my friends com- yeah my friends complain now about the shortage and that's one thing I'm so like I mean it's been I gave it up in January so like in the year new year I stopped taking it and mm-hmm. it's now October and I feel like I'm just starting to get my like energy back it took my, but my friend who also had a serious Adderall addiction who went to rehab for it twice told me it takes a year um, to really get back. So at first, again, with the impatience thing, I was like, I need to. Why am I not functioning? Like, why can't why do I have to take four naps a day? Like, why am I drinking a quad shot latte and falling asleep? And it was because my brain was so fucked. Mm-hmm. So but now. Oh, sorry. Oh, oh no, no, no. I was just curious like did were you able to to work on the trauma of of the abduction like before you came back into your real life like I know you went to rehab but was was that mostly for the alcohol or was that for like the trauma or both that was for the trauma so I I didn't do I did AA meetings in rehab but I did like the trauma track, which was like going through because I had also been in a relationship right before that with a guy who yelled at me all the time. I got love bombed and we were together for three months and he was supposed to come with me on the trip and he broke up with me the night before. So I went alone and I got really drunk oh and I met up with my guy friend and he left me in the car like it was like a series of like and what's crazy is right before he broke up with me, I'd gone to St. Louis for work and this guy slipped a note under my hotel door that was like, I want to eat your pussy, the guy who brings you towels. And then I get to LA and this guy is talking to me at the pool and he's like, 
oh, do you have that good pussy? Like, he's, like, yelling at me at the pool. And people, instead of helping me, are fucking recording it. And so I have to leave. And I told my friend, I was like, I I feel like I'm going to die. And she was like, what do you mean? I was like, I can't explain it, but it feels like there's this dark cloud over me and I'm going to die. And I had an emergency therapy session and my therapist like, you just need to relax. Like, you just need to calm down. And I ended up drinking and going out that night and I got raped, abducted and raped. And it's just... Yeah. So then when I woke up and went through all that, there was like, obviously I, but I had been going through like my friend, I I had a breakdown at like James Beach in LA and I was like crying. (laughs) And I don't know why I'm laughing at that, but it's just, it just feels like such a, I partied there so hard in my twenties. And I was like crying there one night and I was just like, you've been through a lot. And then that happens. And I was like, okay, like, I was supposed to go to Hawaii. I was supposed to fly to Hawaii because I'd taken two weeks off of work. I was going to fly to Hawaii and visit my friend and like do this whole thing. And I had to reroute to Arizona to do rehab. And I, but I honestly felt relieved. Like I was like, I need to like, I I felt out of control of my life because I had just mm-hmm. dated this guy and given him so much of myself of a guy who I really didn't know. Like we met on Hinge in COVID and like, eh, he just was not the person he presented himself as and he would yell at me and I was putting up with it. And I was like, who am I becoming? Like, I'm not a person who lets a guy yell at her. Like I don't put up with this. And I had, and I was like, why am I so desperate for love that I'm like dating this guy who's like an overweight cocaine addict. Like it was just like, I mean, I guess that's mean, but I, (laughs) I just, it had been I had gone through so much. So by the time I went to rehab, I was like, just like <laughs> I was talking to the nurse that like lets you in or whatever that checks you in. I'm like, I'm fucking insane, dude. And he was like, <laughs> I was like, I guess I can't say that. He's like, none of those words should be used outside this door. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, so I ended up really I, you know, actually was I've been playing phone tag with one of my really good friends from rehab and. It was crazy because I checked in and I met her and she was like, she, you know, she's she was in her 40s and she was just like she kept calling it a handgun wedding, which is so funny. It's a shotgun wedding. But she was like, I was like 33 and I was like, I got to get married. She was like, don't get married. Like, don't do it. And it was kind of refreshing, you know, and she was yeah. like the coolest person there. And um, I she was like, why are you in here? And I told her that I had gotten raped and she was like, oh, my God, when? And I was like a week ago she was like a week ago like how are you so but I don't remember like I don't remember the act which I think is very lucky and I did learn in rehab because I was doing EMDR therapy which is like the Mm -hmm. the collapse or whatever that sometimes your brain blacks out horrible memories so that you don't go insane it protects you it's like um I don't know if you've read the book body keeps the score but I read like that about, in rehab. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a good one. It's a popular one. <laughs> the guy who wrote it actually is speaking in New York um next week or maybe this week. Bessel van der Kolk, but that's an aside. Um yeah, it, it's like all about that how our bodies like hold on to it, but they protect us too by like literally blacking out the memory of like the trauma, but then it shows up in different ways and that's why you have to like process it through MDR or ketamine or whatever type of therapy it is yeah so i did ketamine therapy too um i've tried a lot of things but i think the adderall was like 
also I wasn't processing it because Adderall just like mutes your emotions. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think I got so addicted to Adderall because I like couldn't really feel anything. Oh, so you were doing those therapies, but while you were on Adderall? Yeah. That makes sense. I actually, I just interviewed um, a guy who's a psychedelic assisted therapist and he was telling me how like before he does sessions, like he like you're not supposed to be taking any other like types of like, drugs whether it's ssris or benzos or anything that like suppresses your emotions because like the whole point of it is to feel everything and so that's yeah so did when you stopped in january did you like have those like flooded emotions at all or was it more of the withdrawal yeah because i was on anti-anxiety but like uh, with the amount of Adderall I was taking, it's like it's like putting a bandaid on a, you know, whatever. It's like on a, lo- a cut limb. Like it was just like whoa, this this small dose of anti anxiety is doing nothing compared to the Adderall. But I got off everything because I actually went to this um detox center recommended by Goop, mm. and basically you just drink mud water for four days and have a colonic a day because I was like I need to get the shit out of me. And I I almost passed out. And I was like, I, I told the front desk, I was like, I'm feeling very lightheaded. Like, I'm kind of seeing things. I'm kind of worried. They're like, oh, it's working. I was like, all right. They're like, maybe hit the sauna. I'm like, I just told you I almost passed out. You want me to go hit the sauna in the desert? What is this place? This is a torture sounds like goof. <laughs> yeah, it was. I was like, literally, Gwyneth Paltrow would thrive here. Um and so I ended up leaving that early because I couldn't I couldn't handle it. I was like, I have to go to CVS. And I went to like Jack in the Box and just like ate in the, <laughs> in the parking lot because I was like, I'm going to die. Like I have no calories. It was literal mud water, mud water and like this weird tomato soup. But at that point, I was very, very thin. And what's in, like I have a photo of myself in the hot tub at the um, at the scoop center. And I was like oh, I look so good in my head in that. And then I recently looked at that photo because I wanted to see how, and I was like, oh my God, I was so, I was like a skeleton. Like I was so yeah. thin. And um, so, but afterwards, so I went to this detox center and I was like very tired and I was gaining a lot of weight. Not gaining a lot of weight, but like when you're a hundred pounds and you go up to 120, it's like, it it feels like a lot of weight. Yeah, especially when you're in that like mindset of I look good at this weight. Like like see like I know I have like this like a similar picture whenever I look at it, I remember taking it and be like I look amazing. And now I look at it and I'm like holy shit, like I am a literal wafer. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I look I had photos of myself when I was taking Vivance and Adderall and it's tough because I, I see how sick I am, but mm-hmm. I also, there's this still a, a mentally ill part of my brain that's like, you look good. Um, but during that time I was taking all that Adderall and not eating and like, I was also acting crazy. Like I... Uh, like guys but that was that's where the trauma would come out so i would i wasn't really Mm -hmm. seeing guys i probably i used to date a lot and then after what had happened i would date like not a lot and i would only do it through like (laughs) yeah and i was like only doing it like 
through a friend or like if I met them in person or like something like that because I felt more comfortable that way and I remember this guy who I met through a friend we hooked up and I thought it was just gonna be a hookup and then he was like texting me and like basically like the second time we saw each other he was like why don't you drink and I didn't want to tell him that I had gotten raped by an uber driver because like we're about to be intimate that's like the least sexy thing a girl could say is like yeah (laughs) I was raped so I was like I don't want to talk about it and then after we hooked up he was like I need to know why you're sober and I was like no you don't and um he was like well you know if we're gonna like date like if we're gonna like do this like did you murder someone with your car because this was in LA when and I was like no and then I ended up telling him and he was like holy shit because I was like no I didn't murder someone with my car I got a very big assumption to make like just yeah I I feel like sober like especially in LA a lot of people are sober because of like health benefits well his thing was like i'm he was like i'm such a guy he was like i grew up in la like i know a lot of people got into like bad car accidents and that's why they're sober oh and he yeah so he was like i am such a guy like i my brain i was like yeah you're so lucky your brain doesn't even think about that like any girl if you're like i really don't want to talk about why i'm sober it like their mind kind of was like oh it's just like if a girl's like yeah i don't i don't really i had a really bad night and it's like, oh, was a guy there? Like, yeah, she yeah. was probably raped. And um, so then ended up, anyway, he ended up like blowing me off after that. And we had only met twice, but I literally lost my shit on him. I like called him and was like, who the fuck do you think you are? And a part of it was because I was on so much Adderall that I was like, this is. But I also felt like he had taken from me like like he found out this thing that like was so so deeply painful in my life and then like mm-hmm. blew me off and yeah, it was like using it, it against you like as a way like, yeah as a reason to like not want to date you when it's like that had nothing to do with you exactly and I think the truth is he had just gone out of a relationship and he's like successful and rich and like probably is just like hooking up with a ton of girls but like the fact that he like pulled that out of me and then blew me off I was like oh it's because of this and I like could not handle it and I like Mm -hmm. lost my shit on him in a way that was like it's embarrassing because we have mutual friends and I'm like oh god I told my friends I was like look I was on a ton of Adderall at that time in my life but I it's I guess that's where the trauma would come out and that's where the Adderall would make me like so crazy because even now like after I got off Adderall I I actually don't date ever because I'm like I'm too tired (laughs) just want to like even like get the like to do the basic things I have to do and then go meet someone I just have no desire um but I think that I don't that's where like trauma would come out in little ways and like I Mm. I would overreact to little things and it, it was because I was you know traumatized and also on Adderall yeah I mean that no that makes a ton of sense and do you feel like oh like it's you've gotten some of your energy back over these nine what nine months yeah nine plus months I do I think this year was a really tough year like I I lost both my jobs one of like like I said um one of them it was just like not a match like Mm -hmm. personality wise um, and then the Comedy Central job, they kind of everyone got fired at once. So it was like, um, you know, it wasn't personal. <laughs> it was just like, yeah, we're not having this department anymore. 
And so the summer has felt very slow with like the strike and everything else. And I think it's been like a sleepy summer for me. So I when I don't have a lot of motivation, it's hard for me. It's it's harder to self-motivate. Like it's hard for me to sit down and write. I, I've been working on this film that I want to write and it's very hard for me to sit down and do it because I don't really have like a, a, a deadline. deadline. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't have the Adderall to be like, just fucking blow it out, you know, but mm-hmm. um, I do I like certain things. I think I, I can get, I, I am, feeling my energy it's just it it will never be the energy on 120 milligrams of Adderall like I'm never gonna be flying like that yeah I guess like as cliche as it this is and like it it's almost like you were going and going and going for so long even with like the rehab like that's like a lot of work like you have to do EMDR therapy and talk about a lot of stuff it's like it's almost like this year you could look at it as just like like a long awaited time of just rest, which is mm-hmm. hard to like do, especially if you're someone who's like, con- um, you know, likes control, likes structure, likes like things t- um, to look forward to or motivation when you're just like forced to be still, even though it's frustrating. I feel like at least like you, maybe your brain and body are like catching up and just like, holy shit we've been through a lot like we can rest that's kind of and I uh, my anxiety is like the other you know the devil on my shoulder like you know Mm -hmm. you're gonna be unsuccessful and poor and single for the rest of your life um but I I I think um my dad has said that to me too and I I think that's that is a way to look at it because I even when I was taking on the Adderall and doing all this shit, I'm like, there's no way I could do this for the rest of my life. Yeah. Like I was sleeping probably like four hours a night, maybe. And I was wow. like probably eating 300 calories a day. Like I was like I was going to workouts like I was like <laughs> it was just my energy was not <laughs> my friend who like knows Adderall addiction. I was like complaining about a different guy. She was I'm going to tell you right now. The problem is not the men. The problem is the Vyvanse. And I was like, <laughs> I didn't even tell her that I was abusing it. She could just see could it tell. in my yeah. Like, aura. Yeah. I've been told similar things. Like when I quit drinking right before, my sister was like, if there's anyone in the world who doesn't need alcohol, like who's, who, who, how, what did she say? She's like, you're basically drunk when you're sober. Like, cause I'm just crazy. And she's like, you don't need alcohol. And I was like, yeah, you're right, Lenny. And I listened, but um, yeah, it took <laughs> took a while, and um, had to listen to a lot of people to be like, maybe, 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 like we don't like you this way. And I think with drinking too, it's tough because everyone has that night, you know. Everyone has like a night that's crazy. Yeah, and like when every night is crazy, you're like, mm-hmm. my friend described it who's sober. She was like, I was always a little bit worse than my friends, mm-hmm. even just a little bit, and they were drunks like they were like big drinkers and that that was me like I was always like oh Hannah's getting fucked up you know like yeah it was the same like no one was totally shocked yeah I think yeah it it was similar like I, I don't know I was living in Austin at the time actually when I quit drinking where it's like very party city like 
Neverland. Everyone goes out. So like compared to the people I was hanging out with, I was like tame. I mean, they were like, you know, rolling on a Wednesday for like a, oh my God, Rufus to Soul concert or something. And I was, and like they were in their like 40s. And so it was like this weird adjustment of like, no, 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 this is a weird, like culturally, like this is not normal. But it like this, it, the benchmark, I guess, was like so high of like what is acceptable and going out that I was, I was like, oh, well, I'm just like getting too drunk at three times a week. That's normal. But, you know, then you end up in a <laughs> hotel room na- na- naked next to your parents on New Year's Day. And you're like, OK, I need to reevaluate my life. That's like that's what happened to me. So. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. I had a similar at a wedding. I like left with a guy and my it was my mom's birthday. She was like, I guess we're not doing a family photo. I was like, guess not. And my mom was like, so are, you, are we still going to Hamilton? Because we had Hamilton tickets the next day. And I was like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we made it. We made it to Hamilton. Solace in the City is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you know me, uh, you know that I have seen plenty of therapists in my day. And... I will tell you as much as I, you know, love meeting with each therapist, it was not an easy road to find them. And uh, if you're, you know, in the process of searching for a therapist, I'm sure you know that it's quite expensive. Um, I actually been recently looking for a therapist who is licensed in both Texas and New York. And the average cost of ones that I come across are around $275 out of pocket for just one session, which is wild. So um, in the past, I have been using BetterHelp and I am obsessed with my therapist. She is amazing and has helped me through so many tough times. And I am paying a fraction of the cost of what I was paying when I was meeting with someone directly. Um, You can choose from thousands of therapists from their network and one of the parts that I like the best, and I guess this is maybe, you know, me being a people pleaser, but breaking up with therapists or meeting with someone and not getting along right away is kind of, kind of not fun. And then it's like, it makes you not really want to continue, you know, the search. But with BetterHelp, you can easily switch therapists um, and find someone who you click with and then you can meet them at your own convenience. So I found it extremely helpful. Um, and if you choose to, you know, check this out or give it a try, you can use my code to get 10% off your first month of therapy, which is big because it's already pretty cheap. Um, so if you just go to betterhelp.com slash Zoe, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash zoe z-o-e you'll get 10 percent off your first month give it a shot and if you uh find your therapist soulmate let me know so i guess like switching gears to another topic that you're really open about um also like not super fun to talk about but i appreciate you um being vulnerable about this is um you talking about living with an STI, HSV, and I wonder if you could just tell me a little bit more about when you got the diagnosis, like what was going on in your life and how, you know, that's unfolded and how you've been like living with that um, 
since yeah since you were given the herpes diagnosis yeah i moved home for covid and then i started seeing this guy kind of and he like he was like i'm just seeing you you know like all this stuff and then when we were like not going to use a condom i was like i literally said to him do you have herpes because like i was so scared of getting herpes and he was like no he's like I haven't seen anyone but you and like I got STD tested right before, you know, like this, the any guy who said I got STD. I recently got STD tested. They're so full of shit. Oh, yeah. I just got my results back. It's like, shut the fuck up. No, you didn't. There's no way. And I went to his birthday party like I was supposed to pick him up from the airport. And then I got really sick and I was like, I think I have COVID. And I was like, I had told my parents that I like had seen someone but I was in the basement, so, like, I wouldn't, like, hang out with them anyway. And I was, like, wearing a mask, and my mom took me to get COVID tested. I was, like, I feel like I'm going to die. And then I had an outbreak, and I was, like, I have herpes. So then I spent the entire, like, I spent, like, a whole night because I couldn't. I had to do a gynecology appointment over Zoom, like, looking up herpes, pictures of herpes. And I was, like, this is it. I have it. And then I was, like, Googling, like, celebrities with herpes because that's always what people do to make you feel better. You're, like, all right, well, Paris Hilton has this. I think I'll be okay. Jessica Alba has it. It's fine. She, she's a do they really? Yeah. They, oh, uh, according okay. to the, Google. you know. Yeah, I guess Jessica Alba got it from Derek Jeter and then Paris Hilton got it from who knows. But, uh, yeah, so um, – and then when I had to do my gynecology appointment, they had to do it over Zoom. And she was like, yeah, this is it. And uh, she's like, get blood tested just to be sure. And I got blood tested. And it, it, it had to, I had my, I, that's when I actually first lost. Cause I was like, I was like struggling with my weight cause I was drinking so much. But then like when I, I was like 140, I think for five, six, which isn't like overweight by any means, but it was like, not like I just I wasn't, I just felt like doughy. Like I just didn't really like, I drank a lot. So you also I, were like not moving know. probably a lot because of COVID. Yeah. So I, and then I got it and I was like, okay, like that's actually when I, my Adderall kind of ticked up is in COVID because I was like, okay, if I have herpes, I have to get super hot. Cause like then it like won't matter. And then now it's like, it really doesn't matter. It, Mm -hmm. it, I really did think about like, I was that, that was, that was a level of depression. I was like, this is so bad. I was like, this is because I, I just, at that point, I was a a sexual person and I was like, this is like, (laughs) at that point, at this point in my life, I'm not. It doesn't affect me at all because I don't have sex. But I, I was like, this is going to be so horrible. And then like, no one cares. Yeah. I mean, some I I won't I won't lie. Some guys do care. Like, I actually was supposed to have a date tonight, and the guy was like, "I met him on Rise." Like, oh, do you want to eat Saturday? And I was like, "Oh, I have a show." And he's like, "Oh, you do stand up?" And then he like bailed, and I was like, "Oh, because he probably went to my Instagram until I talked about having herpes and didn't want to go out with me," which also is my insecurities potentially. But he was like, "Sorry, not feeling well. Can we rain check?" And I'm like, "I've heard that one before." Um, but then I'm like, okay, if he's going to react, like, it's yeah, kind of you don't nice want him in, in your life. Yeah, yeah. Like if any guy sees on my Instagram, anything they don't like, or they find out I have herpes and they don't like it, I'd rather never meet them because then it's like, fuck this guy. Like, 
that's a waste of my time. And again, I don't drink. So a date for me is like actually just taking time when I could be like doing nothing and talking to my dog. You know, it's like yeah. I, I don't. And I think I, I do. The hardest part about herpes is like the stigma and like. But I think by doing stand up and talking about it on podcasts and stuff, it's like um, no one can really make fun of me. Like, that's mm-hmm. what I like about talking about it in stand-up because I think my jokes are pretty good about it and they land pretty well. And I'm like, no one's going to write a better joke about herpes than me. So I'm going to write it and I'm going to talk about it. And, like, I did it on stage the other night. I was talking about it. And then the comic that went up after me was like, oh, I, I wonder if I should switch this mic out because, like, good one. I have herpes. Yeah, and it bombed. And they were like, you know, because they have herpes. She has herpes. And everyone was like, and I was like, yeah, I just talked about wanting to kill myself for having herpes. That was like the premise of the joke. And like it, the joke is like I called the suicide hotline and the woman was like, "Oof!" when I she found out I had herpes. And I'm like, how is this the worst thing you've ever heard? <laughs> um, but it's like talking about that and then you're going to go up and then try to make fun of me. Also, like, that's not how you get herpes. Like, this isn't like yeah. a 90s AIDS campaign. What are you doing? Uh, so that felt good, too, because the other comic who I like, but like, I, I, I just, I think it's interesting that people are so woke, but then they make fun of herpes because, and I'm not, I, I'm woke, whatever, but I'm not like a word police. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, I'm yeah. going to go around and be like, don't say this, don't say that. But I will say it's so interesting. People who are so fucking woke love to drop herpes jokes. And I'm like, how is that any different than making fun of someone else for something? And also, yeah. like, this is a disease that so many people have. And by making fun of it, you're actually just hurting people's mental health. Like, so many people have herpes that, like, it's it's so inc- – I, I think herpes to me is such a hack joke at this point. It's like if you make a herpes joke – and now, because I'm so upfront about it, sometimes people will make a herpes joke in front of me and like groups of people, and then they'll look at me and be like, "Oh my god, sorry." And I'm like, "That's worse." Yeah. Just do it's your also, hacky joke and bomb. It's just, there's like no like there was, I think I mean it's a result of so many things like poor sex education, just like stupid comedy is where it's like the butt of the joke, but it is extremely common. It's treatable. Like it's only contagious if you have an outbreak. And are not using protection. And I think there's just like misinformation that is. Yeah, but you're right. It is wild that we've come so far in so many ways. And yet like sexual health still has such a like this weird stigma attached to it. But it's cool that you get to talk about it in um, your stand up because I feel like it takes the power away from the condition like you're kind of reclaiming, you know, you're reclaiming something that's like long been like the butt of a joke in comedy. Yeah. And I would say like when I, not to compare the two of like getting herpes and getting raped, but like both felt like, I mean, obviously getting raped was like worse, but herpes, it felt like I was, you know, oh, and then the guy ghost, he tried to ghost me and then he tried to blame me. And then when I threatened to sue him, he came out and told me I've been sleeping with five other women. So he's God. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how that ended. But um, with with when I got raped, I was like very obviously traumatized and like very upset. But like 
I knew it wasn't my fault. Like I knew that like like I I knew it wasn't my fault because I knew no one would. Well, my friend, whatever. But I knew no one would blame me. No one would be like, Mm -hmm. it's your fault. You got some people do like some people who've heard me on podcasts or whatever. But like one guy wrote, this is why you got raped on one of my photos because I posted a photo in a bikini. Like people, of course, will blame a rape victim. But like overall i've been educated enough to know that the rape was not my fault and it was something that i had to like process myself but when i got herpes because of the way society treats it and because of the way people talk about it and how people who have herpes are disgusting i was like this is my fault i'm a disgusting human and like i did this to myself and like i and i i felt like it was like something that had happened to me that I felt like was my fault and like what affected me as a human. Like I was like, this is like who I am, you know, like mm-hmm. not many. It's not like I have psoriasis. I'm not like I have psoriasis. I'm a worse person. But when I got herpes, which is way less prevalent than my psoriasis, I was like, I'm a worse person. Like I have less value as a human. And that is why I talk about it on stage because I'm like, Anyone who thinks that just needs to stay away from me because that's so, you know. The percentage is like pretty high. What is it like one in like four people or something or or higher? For like type one, which you can get on your vagina or dick or whatever, it's one in three. Yeah. And then for type two, it's one in six. So like the combination of whatever it's pretty high, yeah. Yeah. So then, if you think of that, and you're like, you know, thinking of a crowd at a comedy show, roughly like, whatever. Oh my god, math. Um, like thirty, let's say like thirty percent or something of the people there, like, probably have it. Probably so have it. Yeah. They probably feel and so much better leaving, like that. You know, they've been validated. Yeah. Like after a show, one time this girl messaged me, and she's like, "Thanks for talking about it. I was, I was one of those girls in like the group, like this group of girls," and she was like who you said probably have it. <laughs> she was like, I haven't been able to tell any of my friends. Like I've been holding it in. Like I've been very sick. And I was just like, like she was like venting to me. And I, I felt for her. Cause I was like, this is so like, but I guess I kind of do it when I'm on stage. Like I'm venting to people about how horrible it is because I can't imagine living in a world where like, I couldn't tell my best friend I had herpes cause I would, I would be worried she didn't like me. Like why would a friend give a shit if you have general herpes? That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> like what kind of friendship is that? But people do. And it's, it's, I don't even think it's her friend who would really judge her. It would be like, it's, it's, I referenced that movie, John Tucker must die. I recently watched mm-hmm. it and they like made him a model of herpes and he got booed out of a theater. I'm like, what the fuck are we teaching people? Yeah. He does then come back when they're like, that's so honorable of you, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, so noble. Okay. So I guess there's a turnaround there, too. But, but that's yeah, kind I of like that. I was talking. I was my the people I do a podcast with. They're both gay. And I was like, this might be insensitive, but it does feel like when I told my because pa- they were talking about coming out. And I was like, I don't want to say telling my parents I had herpes is like coming out as being gay. But and then my friend was like, it kind of is similar because you have to talk about your sex life with your parents, which is like an yeah. awkward thing. It's not like oh like when you come out you're not like oh i'm in love with a woman you're like oh i'm fucking women now like it's like you have to talk about your sexual preferences and like 
not that herpes is a preference, but like you have to kind of have this honest sexual conversation with your parents or I had to. And I was, I mean, my parents are very not, my parents have seen enough of my standup to be like, yeah, we know she's not a virgin, uh, but it, um, and I was very lucky. My parents, they thought I was on heroin cause I had lost a bunch of weight and like, I, I couldn't leave. I was like so depressed. They were like, we think you're, or they're, Maybe they didn't say heroin, but they said, we think you're like taking drugs, which is hilarious because two years later, I was like, <laughs> you're like, I actually, drugs? I am. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I told my parents and they were so relieved. I think that's when I realized this could be funny is because my parents were they thought the worst thing possible because I wouldn't get out of bed. I wouldn't talk to them. I was like, they were like, something's fucking wrong with her. And I was like, when I said it and they were like. My dad was like visibly like, oh, my God, thank God. Like, I really thought something was really wrong. And I was like, something is wrong. I have general herpes. And they're like, who gives a fuck? No one gives a fuck that you have herpes. If Yeah. You, I was like, I'm never getting married. I was like, that's the thing. I'm never getting married. And and that's just such a – but I also catastrophize everything. So I'm like, I got herpes. I'm like, I'm never – you know, I'm never having sex again. I'm never getting married again. No one's ever going to love me when it's like – I mean, I might never get married, but it's going to be for my personality. So it's not like, I don't know. I just think there's this moment when you get it. It does kind of feel like um, in a zombie movie when like everyone's getting hit, you know, like everyone's getting bit and you're like, I fucking got bit. Like it's like, this is the end. I guess like the silver lining is, you know, it you're adding to the content of your stand-up and like you're helping people I mean there's it's hard to find like I give you so much credit just for like all the shit you've been through in like what three years that's insane and I mean I know I've just met you but like your resilience is like unparalleled I just can't stress that enough just given that you're like yeah, you're. I mean, you have a lot of strength, and it's really cool to see. And I'm, and I'm really grateful that you're you're sharing all of this with me and and my listeners. Oh yeah, no. Um, thanks for saying that. Yeah, I I got my brain scanned in rehab, and they like measure your brain waves. I don't know if you've a doctor was looking at it, but it was very interesting because he was like he like could he like guessed a lot of things about my personality and he's like, Oh, you must be a binge drinker. And I was like, how do you know that? He's like, because your anxiety is so high. You don't have your brain reads it as like medication. Mm -hmm. So that's why you don't have that button. He's like, you don't throw up or anything or you can't stop. You just black out. And I was like, yeah, he's like your brain, like that's how you're wired. That's why it's also easy for me to quit drinking because I was like, Oh, a doctor was like literally reading my brain and like, Oh, are you a blackout? Like, And then he was like, did you recently go through a loss? And I was like, no. (laughs) I was like, because I thought it meant like, did someone die? Yeah. And I was like, no, but I did get raped. And he's like, that's a loss. (laughs) He was like, yeah, that's an L. We're going to call it. Yeah, (laughs) literally. That's an L. Um, But he was like, but I'm seeing your resilience and you have some of the highest resilience I've seen. Like you have very high resilience and you're very lucky for that. And then uh, another person in rehab, we were talking about our brain scans and that person was like, yeah, I actually had low resilience. And I like, 
let's just say I wasn't surprised that that was what was read on the thing. And I, so I feel very fortunate in a lot of ways. Like I, I have like, you know, very supportive parents. I have like, a, I'm close to my brother. Like I, I'm very, I'm, I'm fortunate in, in many ways. Like my parents, you know, helped me through college. Like it's like, and I think by having comedy and writing and all this stuff, it, it, it makes it easier for me to like, I think if I didn't have a passion, it would be harder to move on. Cause I'd be like, what am I doing? Like I would just be sitting in it. But when I have like a goal and like, and I still get down and like, I still suffer from depression. I was on Wellbutrin and then I was on the highest dose. And then I got a seizure at a seizure this summer. Oh my God. Are you yeah. kidding? No. So yeah, I can't be on that. So I was like, um, so my energy was actually really bad this summer because I had a seizure. Um, but it's like, I'm still, I don't know. It's weird. It's like, I'm still alive. So yeah, no, that's, I mean, it makes sense. And, and I think there's something about like, speak, like, speaking words into existence like I've just found it with my podcast talking about like I had never told anyone about my eating disorder like not even like the only people knew who were were my family members like not even my best friends not even my roommates and like the first time I like came out about it so to speak was like on a podcast because there was something about like if I just tell the world right now no one can use it against me because like if no one can like interrogate me, they could just listen to my podcast. They can support, support it and listen, you know? And, and I feel like there's something to that of being like in front of a room full of people, like this is what I've been through this, you know, I have this condition, but like, what are you going to say? Like, I've already said it all. It's like the Eminem in like Eminem, um, eight mile, you know, when he (laughs) like says the rabbit hole and it says everything about him. And then it's like, he drops the mic and the guy can't make fun of him about anything, you know? I haven't seen that movie in so long. I'm like, I need to rewatch that. But yeah, I, I like even just that one scene, it's like Eminem last rap battle or something. Eight mile. I, I feel like I, I wouldn't remember what the rap or anything like that. But that's kind of what it feels like. And it feels like what you're doing, too. And like, especially, I mean, given everything you've gone through, like, at therapy world those are like all really big t traumas yeah i i had like a a pretty bad breakdown on new year's that's when i realized that like i my adderall addiction had gone too far is i was being gaslit by this guy who actually lives across the street from me but like i we were texting and like back and forth and he for like months had been like i want to see you never mind i want to see you never mind i want to see you never mind and then like it was in miami and i flew down early even though he lives across the street from me which is a psychotic thing to do but i was on so much adderall i was like we're gonna go to miami and get married (laughs) and he bailed on me again and i sent him 120 text messages and he was like around there and he was just like we've met once like i don't know you and i was like yeah that's pretty fair that's an insane amount of text messages for a guy i don't know but i am on a ton of adderall i had taken so many shrooms i am so gaslit by men i had been raped in a year like it was kind of like a transcript of my trauma was just sitting in my text messages and i like flushed all my drugs down the toilet because i was like i cannot live like this i cannot be this psychotic um person but I I felt like afterwards like I I was having really bad like that's why I ended up uh, my job at this company this smaller media company 
it was very toxic to begin with, but I had been very frustrated with them and I did a stand-up show at their office and I basically shat all over them because I was just like so over it. I was like, you guys are fucking like, and they made oh one of the comics made a joke about how easy it is to fake rape and they he worked there and i like literally got up there and i just ripped them all to shreds i was like this company's fucking disgusting and i lost my job basically that monday i got fired but i don't regret it i have no regrets on that um but i i i kind of freaked out like i i changed my phone number like i i did all these things because i was like i i had this like kind of mental manic episode where I like you know had been just like taking a bunch of Adderall imagining my life with a guy who didn't exist and then like my work was like that job had been like leading me on about like promoting me and giving me a new position but then it was just everything kind of happened at once and I lost my mind and I like I recently saw my friend who I hadn't seen since I dyed my hair pink. And then I like, I really lost it. And it all came out because I quit Adderall and then like everything, all my emotions poured out. And I like, mm-hmm. had, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't deal with anything anymore. And I saw my friend recently who I'd seen during that time. And she was like, her mom has borderline personality. And she was like, I was really scared. She's like, I haven't seen an episode like that since my mom. And I then I was like paranoid I had borderline personality. But then I was reading it that like if you go through a serious amount of trauma, like you can show signs of borderline personality. And I was like, that was like one manic yeah. I mean, it was like a manic two weeks in my life, but like after everything I'd been through, like it was actually pretty chill. Yeah, it was like you put up a dam and just like put the dam down and it all flooded out, which is Yeah. Yeah. What advice would you give to, I mean, like to anyone who's, I mean, where to begin, but like to someone, I guess, like to who's feeling just like overwhelmed with their emotions or like, like they're dealing with something that they never thought they would encounter or have to deal with, I guess is the easiest way to put a blanket statement over it. I think um, if if for someone who's like going through a lot or even like maybe made a big mistake because I I felt like maybe I made a lot of mistakes. It was um, just, you know, finding a way to forgive yourself and give yourself grace. And. And. Yeah, I would say just really learn to be okay with yourself because I I think that was the hardest thing for me is like I blame myself for everything. And I took mm-hmm. like I, I think that's why my Adderall addiction got so bad. I was like, I have to be perfect, which means like, you know, my highlighters were organized by color and I was 100 pounds and like all this stuff. And it was just like I I it was because I was so afraid of like messing up or, you know, I wasn't good enough or like I, you know, I, I, all my friends had relationships. I only had one with this guy who's so mean. Like I, and I think this year, like taking it easy is like, it's okay to not like, I've lost a shit ton of money. I haven't been on a date and I'm currently like looking at minimum wage jobs and like, 
I at least can say that I'm not addicted to drugs right now. Like I am addicted to drugs, but like I knew like small like wins or small challenges that you overcome. Like I, I did go through all that and like now I'm not on drugs anymore. And like that Mm -hmm. feels like a huge win, even though, and I've had to accept myself and like really be honest with myself, but like also forgive myself and be like, it's okay. Like, yeah. And it's hard, but I think you're so right. Like self-forgiveness is, is something I've dealt with and it's not easy. And, but it is, I think, especially just like remembering those moments when you were so low and then feeling like, okay, wow, I was able to push through that. Like that's not an easy task. Like not a lot of people could have gone through that or reminding yourself of like that brain scan and and that resilience is, is really, I mean, yeah, like your brain was literally built differently and built to handle more traumas. And maybe you could also like look into like, (laughs) like being a psychic because like, both times that you mentioned, you said that you, like you were feeling like you were going to die, and then like you like got some terrible news. Like you, there's, you should be like you're like connected to something up there. My old therapist was like very into. She didn't until we like had a really good relationship. She ended up retiring, but she was really into astrology, and she like brought up me. She said everyone has really good intuition. Like as a kid, all kids have really good intuition, and you lose that as you get older, especially with drugs and alcohol. You don't, you can't feel it in yourself. And I think that has where sobriety has helped me is because anything that doesn't feel good or anything that doesn't feel right, I just kind of move away from. And mm-hmm. I think. I'm st- and I s- say like be easy on yourself. But I'm still pretty hard on myself, but I think uh, my friend said this to me, and I think that's something I try to. I when I was on all this Adderall, I was at the lowest point in my life. I was at the saddest point in my life, and ever since then, I've just been running from that. So whatever gets you further away from that bad feeling you felt at your lowest point is progress. So I, I, and my friend who was like, I was really worried when I saw you in January because I had just seen her in September. She was like, I, you, and at first I was so embarrassed. I was like, oh my God, do I have borderline personality? Like, I'm so crazy. I can't believe I did that to my friend. I can't believe I made her feel that way. Like, blah, blah, blah. And then I thought about it and I was like, well, she saw me once. And then because of our schedules, because she lives in LA, I live in New York. We just haven't really seen each other. And I was like, and I've come a long way. Like now we're hanging out. She felt like she could tell me that, which is not something you could tell a borderline personality person is I think you have borderline, you know, like, yeah, it, yeah. So and I was like remembering the discussion, remembering, remembering that point. And so instead of feeling embarrassed about like, oh, my God, I, I was like that. I was crazy because I because I fully was. I'm like, look how f- I, I try to be like, I've come so far. Yeah. Like if your friend felt comfortable enough to say that to your face now like she wouldn't have said it when you were in those manic episodes or acting like that like maybe yeah so I think that's such a good point and and yeah you don't have borderline personality disorder I can say that from knowing the DSM relatively (laughs) enough um but it's it's my therapist I asked her and she was like I but I think borderline personality is kind of like herpes because like I used to be like, do I have herpes? That's the one positive thing about having herpes. I was so scared of getting it. And now I'm not worried about it because I have it. <laughs> but it's like they were like, you know, when you have it. And when I got herpes, I was like, oh, I definitely have it. So I feel like borderline might be the same, which I, I, I 
feel so I have so much empathy for someone who has borderline it must be a nightmare to be in that but same actually like <laughs> I remember I came home from this was like yeah it, when I was drinking when I was like not in a great place but I came home from um I forget where I, where I was living either New York or Austin and my on my kitchen table were two books it was like how to deal with your when your daughter has borderline personality disorder and I was like what the fuck mom like <laughs> Like, where did you get this from? And she, but yeah, she had bought two books because like they made that assumption too. And uh, I was like, no, mom, I don't have that. Like, why were you not going to ask me? Were you going to show me these books? They were in our like family Amazon cart. So yeah, that was a, that was an awkward conversation. And then, yeah, but yeah, it looks like we've both made it far and I've come a long way. And Hannah, I just can't thank you enough for, for being so, open with me and with everyone listening and I would love if you could tell my listeners like everywhere they could follow you and um, yeah no thanks for having me sorry I was like I hope I didn't have a soliloquy I'm like be easy on yourself oh god I hope that was okay (laughs) Um, no it was great (laughs) uh yeah I'm at Hans Dickey it's H-A-N-S D-I-C-K-I-E um it's my two college nicknames Hans and Dickey and then I have a podcast called Ha Ha, Two Words, Land, where it's the Hollywood how-to podcast where we uh, interview billionaire multi-hyphenates to become hyphenates ourselves. And unfortunately, yes, we have yet to have a guest who shows up, but we we, we hope in the future. <laughs> yeah, one day. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you again and bye, everyone.